Welcome to the Kansas City War Room, Warlords. On today's episode of the Strategic Kana Saga podcast, we are going to talk about using history as a tool to bring insight into tactical ability in the Saga universe. Uh, today, we have three guests back to talk to us about this topic. And so the three guests I brought with us today to talk about this are three people that have already been on the podcast. So just kind of a quick intro, uh, just kind of a quick welcome back to the podcast. First, I'd like to start, start with uh, Josh. So just want to say, Josh, thank you for coming back today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, and say the next person we're bringing on, uh, Luke. I'll say, Luke, you were with us just a couple podcasts ago. I just want to say thank you for being back. Hello, I'm well prepared to be a historical wet, wet blanket today. I've got all sorts of points lined up to make everyone sad. So just be ready for those. I think the reality of history is unfortunately it's pretty sad. But there's a lot of epics in there, but really sad. So, um, but yeah, and, and so thank you for being here, Luke. And kind of moving into the last person. Uh, really glad to have you. I say there. Kind of last reason I know I asked to bring you on uh, is our third guest, Stephen Holdeman. I just want to say welcome back to the podcast, Stephen. Always glad to be here, guys. Yeah. Um, and so kind of the big reason I personally wanted this topic is one, I say history is what keeps me in this game. Um, I kind of joke. I know when Stephen and I, we went up to Adepticon, I think we ended up forgetting to talk about tactics the whole time and ended up spending like eight hours in the car talking about history. Um, and so for me, when I'm kind of building a war band, I'm kind of thinking about the historical inspiration and how can I kind of play a war band or start with building a war band. Um, and so it kind of got me into the mind frame of wanting to bring everybody on board for this one. And so I just want to jump out with the first question and we'll kind of just jump from there. And I'll say this to say, I have no clue how long we're going to spend on today's topic. Um, Cause this is probably a topic again, like I said, we could spend hours on. Um, and so kind of that first question, just jump out there. And if anybody wants to kind of jump into it is thinking, for you, is historical context relevant uh, for a player when running a warband? So I might jump in here because um, first, because I think there's others who have stronger, passionate views. So let me get mine in, and then you guys can join. Um, I think I do like historical context. It actually matters to me. Um, we're working on ancients in our current league. Mm -hmm. I love that time frame, that span of history, ancient it's, it's super interesting to me um, and, you know, it gets me interested in playing the game. Um, and if you contrast that with Crusades, which I'm not as interested in, um, mm -hmm. my passion isn't as strong there. And, you know, I've looked through the factions or maybe I'm trying to find a faction in Crusades that I can assemble and build and get excited about. And I think I can find some, but it's just not as thrilling of a time frame for me so so yeah for me historical context is very relevant and sort of mad uh it inspires my motivation right to really dig in and get interested in in the middle miniatures that i'm working on or the games that i'm playing so yeah for me it, it matters yeah yeah i mean i think i think saga uses history as kind of a a blanket theme for a really interesting game and uh, the way you're kind of approaching your warband is whichever one kind of speaks to you on a historical level. Like, like Josh said, like this is, this era is my jam. Like I mm -hmm. love this stuff. And it's like picking a faction based on that. That is just super, super interesting, but it's, it's ultimately like not why I play the game. Like I, I enjoy the nuts and the bolts of the game so much that if we were playing like potatoes versus hamsters, like I'd, I'd find a reason to like to play the potatoes. <laughs> 
Yeah, and then I uh, to to piggyback on that, something Luke and I have both said since we we've, we've started playing this game again is that history is what drew us into it. We were looking for a historical game, and we had been playing lots of the classic historical games before this to try to satisfy both our love for gaming and our love for history. A lot of things that a lot of people in this group and other things do, it, it's a sort of interdisciplinary love for all kinds of things in life and in a way that I want my passions to constantly overlap mm-hmm. and I want them to motivate each other in a way. As I get more excited about one, I get more energy for another. And for me, Saga is an excellent way to do that and to use history in a way to really, like I said, enhance my own passions for just my hobby time of reading and seeking out articles and just other things that I love about history fandom, you could say, in general. But at the same time, I would still play Saga if the, the pieces were just black, gray, and white pieces and on a, on a small board. The game is fantastic enough to me that I know I would, once proven to me, continue to enjoy those mechanics for a long, long time and could play it over and over again. But as I sit down to make a warband each time, usually I'm landing with a passion. And it's either going to be a passion for whatever phase of history I'm reading about at the time and something hyper-specific I've landed on and I hope to try to recreate, or really a passion about the game itself and extremely passionate about maybe an excellent combination on a board with a historical faction that maybe I didn't care much for, but because I now have an interest in that board, my mm-hmm. interest in that phase of history becomes engaged. And I start to think more deeply about the faction itself. I want to hear about not just the, the military history then of those people. I start being interested in the, the anthropology and mm-hmm. the interactions in their life and so on, too. So, again, to echo that it was interdisciplinary love that all comes together with saga and i think that's what's really important at the same time though uh, history isn't necessary to be upheld with a firm rule inside of saga either they pitch it to us right away as as heroic uh (laughs) out of storybooks and other things like that there's never been uh an intention to try to recreate history and i think luke and others will comment a lot more on that later but as it relates to my motivation and why I play the game and how I select my warbands, I hope to have it echo through every little paint that I choose and every little textile I research. And also I can do a nice four out of 10 paint job at the end, but <laughs> I, I've thought hard and mm-hmm. how to pick certain colors and other things like that. So, so it's really, it's, it sounds like the common thread is just really like, like you said, it's that ability to do a lot of different parts of history. I think for me, a lot of my love of history too is, is that is right. I, I start with the battles and then slowly you kind of like, well, what do these people do during their lives? Then wait, what were the clothing they wear? And as I'm painting the models, you're like, like you said, the textiles and thinking about why were the colors? I think about like a, somebody who loves the Byzantines, obviously, because the name of sake of the podcast. Um, why am I painting my war bands the colors they are? And it's because it's that historical flavor. Uh, just to add more nuance to it. Um, it's like the truth is these people didn't spend that much time in combat. Like <laughs> really successful generals might fight three battles in their entire lives. Like Sun Tzu, who wrote The Art of War, commanded one battle, one, and then retired to the mountains to write a <laughs> book. So it's like if you get one and, mm-hmm. you, and you were successful, like, well, that was a good job done. It's like we just 
we focus so much on the military aspects of history. It's just like it, it wasn't that big a part of our lives. Yeah. Classically, yeah. antiquity might have uh, a little disagreance with that, maybe. Guys spending <laughs> 50 years in service, silver shields who yep. left their home in Macedonia under Philip, again bouncing back from India once more. And it's a, that's the that's the thing about antiquity, as we were saying, when it comes to history, it, it blows the lid off. And then you really want to focus. But then you get almost into a, a state of mystery inside of it as, as you're trying to uncover a lot of things that even sometimes the most seasoned historians aren't terribly sure about. Mm -hmm. And so but you're looking for it. And, and just as soon as you find that justification for yourself, even for that color or whatever, no one's going to care on the other side of the table. Someone <laughs> might think it's interesting for a second mm -hmm. or whatever, but it is there for your personal passion most of the time. So, yep. And I think that's one thing. God, what is it? The and I kind of laugh is that when we play in this league, I didn't or in this game, I, I've never played historicals before. I've never really played miniatures on on top of that. But I kind of laughed when I got into this world. And I looked around. And I was like, everybody here is a teacher. Yeah, like, most everybody here is a history teacher. And I actually kind of laugh because I think like the, th the the all of us here today are actually not um, just huge. <laughs> I would say I kind of almost laugh at that considering the last podcast I had two guys that are history teachers. Um, <laughs> but I love the fact that there's like for us, like huge history enthusiasts that do other stuff. And this is just a huge piece of the exploration of like, we can kind of not even remake battles for me. I, I love the historical matchups as we're getting ready to do the Iron Man tournament next week. Super excited. It's probably like my favorite little niche because we get to add the historical flavor to it. But um, yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, you were talking about how does it, impact you sometimes your, your choice of war band or something else mm -hmm. or how you the context of how you build a list or something like that and something i you know discussed with you long ago and have said to others that when you're diving in you're sold on the the army you want mm -hmm. to get the figures but you you see a multitude of them out there and you're trying to decide what you should pick and why you should pick it and all these sort of things it can be really helpful to pick a battle that, that your army has been mm -hmm. in and try to recreate one of those because a lot of times that's yeah, going to be at least your very best bet to have some sort of artistic representation of that already existing if you can't find archaeological sources to back up what you're wanting to do for fun for mm -hmm. your models or something so and it gives you a little bit of a core and theme to build around a little bit and that's helpful for some of these some of these factions that go through a giant span of history yep. where arguably equipment changes a lot and all kinds of things uh you can think of you know crusaders obviously is a good example mm -hmm. later on but lots of these factions in antiquity not everyone is divided as the romans in this case where they get to have their own board for each little uh physical change in their their army and stuff like that but yeah uh, if you're going to be vikings or something else like that well you got several hundred years to pick through and it can be difficult to find something of substance so maybe you pick the battle of brunenberg or something like that and you focus on that and you work from there so or for byzantines like we've talked battle of manzikert what a great mm -hmm. time to be thinking about all these combinations of really cool units and mm -hmm. all this sort of stuff it's it's helpful sometimes to in be especially being a wash in history if you're unfamiliar with the phase you're looking at finding a battle sometimes is at least a fixed point that you can look at for a second and kind of work outward from there you don't necessarily need to build your army that, to replicate that because that 
sometimes is not always wise uh, in in saga. Sometimes, and we'll maybe talk about that later. Creating a historical copy of of something that really happened in real life mm, that doesn't always work out so well in saga. So sometimes you you need to be looking at your boards a little bit. You need to do look at your army list and stuff. Yep. Uh, unless you're just so embridened that with passion, nothing will stop you. And you're <laughs> you're gonna double down on everything, and you know that's a different type of play style and person all its own. So yep. Which that is actually kind of leads us into the question you kind of brought it up too is um, for me when building a list do you ever choose like the historical accuracy um, or do you prefer to build for max optimization? Well, I unfortunately I optimization is going to be the first mindset as mm-hmm. as someone who loves competitive play and plays in a competitive club here we all enjoy kind of higher caliber strategy and tactics and stuff, building that combo and that optimization is first, but sometimes I'll be really motivated to change it. And I can share right now my example with uh, the successors as I try to put this army together. I am have always had a deep love for Thracian culture and back in the days of ancient battles and stuff like that, really wanted a Thracian army. I've always tried to find an excuse to get one. Finally, in Saga, we have the Thracian boards show up. Mm-hmm. And the Thracian board's fantastic. It's very interesting. I'm not going to talk about it in too much detail right now because definitely get sidetracked. But <laughs> it's mm-hmm. sometimes not the, the board for the most competitive stuff that you're thinking about. It's a very clever board. So the successors, though, very interesting board. And as you look at the Greek successors... And you look through the times of history that this board and time and people are supposed to represent, you see some really, really cool opportunities to incorporate lots and lots and lots of Thracian models in a Greek successor army. You know, the the kickoff of the Fourth Macedonian War begins when the pretender to the Macedonian throne, who's still arguably an Antigonid in his mind, is uh, goes to the king of Thrace to get his initial army to start his campaigns. And so the whole beginnings of his campaigns as the this Greek successor are entirely Thracian units. So mm-hmm. you have interesting weapons for heavy or options for heavy weapons, javelin guys, javelin cavalry. You don't have to take a single Sarissa unit in there if you don't want. So I mm-hmm. uh, that's an example then as I look at the third and fourth Macedonian War, I become very interested and I look at different ways I can try to justify on one hand the models I would love to use for something while also explore kind of a passion for some of these fighting styles that I don't necessarily know are the best idea, but I kind of need to, you know, we can refer to the 10 losses uh, podcast or Mm -hmm. whatever. I need to have these ideas beat out of me a little bit, but I'm still right now absolutely smitten with this little phase of history and it Mm -hmm. is going to influence my painting play and tournament decisions probably for the next six months so yeah i I think composition choices in this game are generally clever enough that they're kind of going to make you do it anyway like i don't know if you've ever seen the rules for something like lion rampant where like you're forming your warband you have access to every single unit that's ever existed like saga is a little more clever Mm -hmm. in terms of like well the Irish don't function that way. We're, we're going to isolate you to javelin warriors, et cetera, et cetera, or the, all these new weapon equipment options they've added for this this uh, 
this run of books where it's like, okay, well, your, your line infantry aren't just line infantry. They have this little special Sarissa rule. Mm-hmm. So, like, I, I think the game has earned our trust in, like, valuing how they are going to present those options to us in meaningful ways. Yeah, and that's, like I said, the reason I, I maybe came up with this question, and I think, for me, this is where... I don't know if this is a fair place to start, but when I think about maybe just the Byzantine and I haven't explored every single board, I think probably my, my favorite boards I've played so far, um, a lot of them come from like the Byzantine line. I didn't think I would really enjoy the defensive kind of sit back faction. Um, but then I played the last Roman board, which I kind of, kind of stuck my nose up at, but I kind of know quite a bit about that period of history. And I think about when I played them, I was trying to kind of play almost like the, the infantry square that they hold where they're kind of like the warriors hold the line and then everything happens out from them. Um, yeah. I mean, that's just a good idea anyway, (laughs) (laughs) but they, they, they reward you for that play. And I, I don't know, I guess that's where, for me, that's where this topic came up a lot is I know some of the war bands, they kind of take that heroic look at it. And for me, where like, as I'm playing maybe some of the, like the Byzantine or the last Roman board, it feels like it plays like when I read, history um like in kind of a kind of maybe not a quite exact replica but like that where i kind of have my warrior set i'm shooting from behind them because i have line of sight my cavalry are coming out from behind there and then kind of coming back um which is i think i think that's interesting about how the saga boards are created right it almost they they, i thought i feel like they've done a fairly good job of creating or sort of capturing themes from the historical army that it's based off of and sort of replicating that in the boards and that that's pretty cool i think from my perspective that it's happening right i played last romans and i know exactly what you're talking about right the fact that they have a redirect uh option Mm -hmm. on there Mm -hmm. to say hey i choose where you're charging (laughs) it's like you get to you know you know get them to divert from charging your juicy you know archer unit or something yeah my archer unit or the hearth guard that's sitting out there it's like you're gonna charge the infantry line and it kind of makes that infantry square yeah um, in that sense of like they're moving in and out of that to to prevent that but on the board we can't perfectly do that so we're going to give you an ability that then mirrors that but but it feels that way when you're playing them just like Mm -hmm the age of invasions Romans feel different from the last Romans or the Byzantines, mm-hmm. right? It, it, it actually, but, but they still, still feel like Romans, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, there's, there's interesting themes through that. So um, I, I appreciate that a lot. I think, I think it really comes out. Yeah. Um, it's a credit to the game's design that they're able to, yeah. to get those kinds of vibes across and, and also just how many abilities they have to write for every single board <laughs> to be able to maintain the, that ability to have a good theme. That's all so, why I'm playing the Republican Roman Army now, even, is because they they nailed it so well to me. They really helped us. Like, that's, some, that's one of their best jobs to me in, in trying to get the feel of how that army works. And a lot of other war games have tried to explain the manipular formations and triple axes and stuff like that with their abilities and those those war games are so clunky and Mm -hmm. so it never really it never really happens and maybe i'm also suckering myself in this maybe this is where i should think about better lists and stuff too (laughs) but i can't help but want to play Uh it as as i know they kind of would have squared up a little bit it's it's delightful for me and so even though i've been getting my uh, teeth kicked in a little bit with them i've done it with a smile so i've enjoyed myself so I say, as a Macedonian player, I definitely feel that pain. Unfortunately, um, yeah, 
But I guess that's so, that's where. Sorry, go but, ahead, go ahead, Josh. Go if ahead. I could just continue, right, right? Like, yeah. So if I I come from uh, like a 40k background or a fantasy, more specifically a, a Warhammer fantasy battles background, and so it, I find it really cool to have uh, this historical themed game, right? Because I about learning about a battle or learning about a faction and then diving into more about how they lived as people. That is just awesome. And so um, that that's great. Uh, the thing that I do struggle with is finding resources to become more historical accurate. Like I'm looking at painting my Vikings. I'm like, what colors did they use? And so then I look up on the website to see, okay, natural. How do you just create dyes from mm -hmm. natural colors? What what wools can you get, right? Or I see a YouTube channel that talks about that like just dying natural cloth mm -hmm. and i'm like okay so i can do that yellow and i can do that orange and i can do that shade of green but probably not too bright right but um <laughs> so i can go that way because i'm i'm very interested in that but mm -hmm. um i don't don't like I, I want it to be as close as i can but i also get myself off the hook right i don't feel like i need to be precise because mm -hmm. We're talking about thousands of years sometimes, and it yep. doesn't matter. So when yeah. I build a list, though, um, I'm really focused on probably just finding a good list. I don't know if I'm really too particular about matching the play style of the army. I'm assuming Saga has kind of done that for me in a way, by what options they give. Mm -hmm. And even if it's not quite accurate, it's a game. And so that's from my perspective. That's how I look at it. I like that. I like that. And I will say this is maybe my, my personal tidbit is sometimes when I don't want to do the research, I just look up a uh, living history actors mm -hmm. and just paint them. That That's usually my, <laughs> that's my, <laughs> that's <a good> go. <laughs> hey, that guy's representing a ninth century Anglo-Saxon, uh, like a who's Carl. Let's just go with that. Let's do that. That's the guy I'm painting today. So that's always my go-to is when I don't want to do the research, I know somebody has, and there's a picture of him somewhere on the internet that I'm just going to paint into my war band. So that's a great strategy. I'm going to, I'm going to use it. <laughs> Those guys put so much time in as you're probably well, very, very familiar with um, yeah. is just thinking about the thread counts. Like those guys are worried about thread counts and the die came from this oh, countryside. Yeah. And it's like, Nope, I'm not going to do that research. It's super cool to think <laughs> about that guy's done decades of research. I'm going to just paint him. So, um, but that's sorry. I want to come back to that. Cause that to me, that's where I guess, and like I said, maybe it's just the exposure, the boards I have right now, where I think about, I love the Macedonian list, um, not particularly one of the strongest in the age, um, but I love the history of it. And I love the ability to just like, it plays like when I think of like those big battles with Alexander um, and it plays like that. But then I think about how do how do you go from maybe your starting point? I know we've talked about this in some of the other podcasts and I can't wait to get into, um, we're probably going to do uh, how to build a war band next time. But do you ever start with it? And I know, Stephen, you just talked about it, starting with the historically accurate version and then slowly titrating it down to, okay, this is what works. Um, do you ever feel like with a war band when you don't know where to start, do you start there? Because I will say for me, that's where I, that's kind of what I've done. But playing the Byzantines, the boards have that flavor. I would almost say that uh, a lot of times, in a way, most of us won't ever be settled on a warband unless we have some sort of motivation and list idea a little bit. Uh, it's it's really, really rare. I can't, even with my own excitement for certain things, I can't think of a time really that I 
jumped into an army full 100% just because I was excited for the historical theme mm-hmm. of it. There's that's there's maybe been some that have been 50-50 uh, with that, but a lot of the guys I'm most excited about, I probably already had the models or something like that. But I think uh, for Saga, and as you learn with miniature games, or just mini games in general, it is a little bit more fun if you are winning. And mm-hmm. so it is a good idea a lot of times to be excited about your play style and practicing the the boards and stuff because Saga is luckily way more forgiving. But as all the other Warhammer players and other stuff know, if you flesh out an entire army based on your loves and then you find out that doesn't work very good, <laughs> you yeah. are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars in the hole and have to start over across the board. So usually by the time you put brush to model, you at least have a good idea of how you can be successful. And again, I think, as we said before with Saga, that it's it's really, really forgiving in that front, that even if you did somehow make yourself a really miserable list, you're not as outgunned and outmatched in Saga as you are in some of those other games. And so it's not going to be your force of love just getting wiped off the board every time. If you get clever enough with with enough trial, you'll probably do pretty well sometimes at least, uh, even with a really bad board or something too. And even if you do make a decision about a unit, paint it, and it doesn't play as you expect, often you can be like, well, I'll just put that in this other army or I'll, you know, you can sort of combine it in ways that uh, Saga is amazing, right? Compared to 40K, you can't, you can't. <laughs> do that right what do you mean that's ultramarines you can't play them as dark angels you know or something like that right it's it's like it's not like that you can you can sort of expand your your units or use them in different ways and that's Mm -hmm. that's one thing i find it's really cool about this game Uh, yeah just the the ubiquity of these these kinds of formations and how common they are across different cultures means you're not getting stuck in a situation where you're like well, these robot skeletons sure can't be space elves. It's just like <laughs> guys with guys with shields or guys with shields, and you can shift them around, do whatever you want to do with them. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I kind of kind of bump it down. This is where I think about. So it's kind of just that is that the idea is even if you start there, slowly you're going to probably find your way working towards an optimized list, no matter kind of what you do. Really, at that point. Um, but what do you feel like, and I've already kind of talked about, at least for me, when I play some of the Roman boards, um, or I think about when I, I even played, like, uh, I really enjoyed the Anglo-Saxons, and I think about the way the Anglo-Saxon, I personally love playing them extremely aggressively. Um, but I think about kind of the tactics that, when I think about some of the big battles, um, which granted what the Anglo-Saxon period covers quite a few hundred years. Um, but is there anything you feel like that history's ever taught you about strategy or tactics Considering the warband, like you said, the flavor is in every one of these warbands. It's baked into every single warband you pick up. It's like these are kind of the people that they're representing pretty well. Um, do you ever feel like you take from some of that history when you're learning about them? Like, oh, this is how they use that or this is kind of how they like to do this. Um, do you feel like that's something that's ever taught you when it comes to like your strategy or your tactics for the warband? I could say been... that, uh... Oh, go ahead. Okay, well, I have a quick one. I've just been finding that, like, playing in the ancient era, I'm more likely to do the thing where you have your infantry on a side, and then you have your cavalry screening, like, a larger percentage of the battlefield. Because they're mm-hmm. fast. Like, they can go here, there, and wherever. And 
I don't find myself doing that in the medieval games because that's not the way they used cavalry in the Middle Ages. <laughs> like they were a batting battering ram in a lot of cases, and in the mm-hmm. Middle Ages or in the, in the ancient world, they were they were your screeners. They, they would mostly chase down people who were running away and trying not to die anyway, or they'd scout and stuff like that. So I'm actually using them more like scouts in the ancient world. I don't know if that's subconscious or not, but I've noticed myself doing it. Mm-hmm. So I think the iron, ironic thing here is that my games with Steven, especially, he's pointed out that I've, I'm playing uh, Spartans, right? And no matter what, I'm almost always placing my hearthguard on the right-hand side or my warlord <laughs> on the right-hand side. And he points out, like, oh, this is historically what they would do. And I'm like, oh, I just didn't even think about it. It just happens. <laughs> uh, so uh, I feel like that's a little iron. I, I didn't do that on purpose. It just turns out to work that way it naturally that's it's willed by the gods at that point <laughs> yeah, yes. that the hard card will be on the right who is it steven it's you're the one the... that told me where my line leader needed to be for the uh for the macedonians <laughs> exactly it's the same yep. right there par right and uh you have to stop the phalanx drift again mm-hmm. you know the leaders in the classical world are often in the front right position or the stoutest troops because that's your unshielded side and men naturally kind of drift to the left away from their unshielded side a little bit and so a lot of classical armies had uh, kind of sergeant equivalents or commanders and other stuff always in that fixed right position. Uh, and like Josh's family, Josh's Spartans there, same sort of deal. But they famously get crushed by the Thebans because the Thebans did not play by the rules that you're supposed to play by when the Greeks are doing it. They didn't read the rule book before you came. Yeah. <laughs> they squared up with the mega phalanx, the sacred yep. band on the other side uh, mm-hmm. and, and crushed them. And that rest of the world, I think, really phalanx battles after that point, at least the cla- phalanx battles of classical antiquity, they're not really the same after that. So mm-hmm. Spartans uh, did rec- Spartans did recover the body of their commander in that battle, though. They've, they've pushed the mega phalanx back far enough that they're able to yep. get his body, which is just such an awesome detail. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> it's probably why they get their ability, right? Their ability to stand your ground. Um, well, they just get it so many times, mm-hmm. like over and over again. But at the same time, we know that the game is, is going to always balance on the side of game first and not history. And, and one of the ways that you can see that at the very beginning, again, all the way back uh, in first edition especially, and less obvious now with as many factions we have. But initially, we only had four factions. We had Anglo-Danes, Normans, Vikings, and Welsh. Anglo-Danes get the, the Dane axes in that case. And all historical Viking fans were bummed out then where's mm-hmm. the vikings dane axes why do the actual guys from denmark not have yeah. the dane axes and <laughs> yeah. stuff? but it should become yeah. immediately obvious to you then at that point that the things that if you look at the board the board would be nuts if they had dane axes it's not meant to have the dane axes and they're supposed mm-hmm. to correct and you can see right from the get-go from the initial saga release where they're gonna side with things a little bit they, like Josh said earlier, it's it's about theme, thematic elements and stuff. And sometimes to your original question for this round, you know, how much are we using lessons learned in history to try to inform us on the battlefield in Saga? In a way, it's, it's sometimes a little bit more meta than that, I think, in the sense that you're trying to understand the deeper concepts in history of this faction so that you can better understand the intention of the saga designer Mm -hmm, sometimes mm -hmm. because sometimes you're kind of missing where all these things come together and sometimes you say oh okay 
okay, yeah, this does play like that when you consider that this is where the designer's mindset might have been in his opinion of the expression, the thematic expression mm-hmm, of the board or mm-hmm. something like that. And, uh, you know, Thracian's a little bit of a good example and, and several others too, where we're just supposed to, they showed it a lot originally with the original pagan Rus who were more about fighting in the cold Russian climate than it was mm-hmm. about fighting warriors or anything. You're fighting freezing cold and winds and bad weather and stuff like that. You weren't fighting you know, guys in Nezdovo helmets or something like that. They didn't say like, ah, here's the Malia burial or some other thing. They said, nope, if you're too far away in the dark, you're going to be exhausted because that's scary and you don't want to be out there by yourself. And you say, okay, well, I think I see where this is going. And so, mm-hmm. so there has to be a little cross and uh, a little bit in these previous historical games that are really static, big lineup fights. You are trying to mimic history so much when you sit down but somehow it doesn't end up being very fun. It's only fun to look at all your guys in that formation and go forward and, and move them up and roll dice. Mm-hmm. After a bit, you start to appreciate the game aspect of Saga more deeply. And uh, from there, you know, history is just a really cool draping and sometimes uh, a motivation for tactics, but not necessarily the ruler of them. That's sorry. That was maybe the to me. That's the biggest point. Is you talked about like finding out what was the creator really trying to do with this war band? Because I think as I've I've sat here painting my Macedonians for the last I don't know like last month or so, trying to get kind of get a couple more points built for them. I'm sitting there with the board, and it's just sitting on top of my painting table, and I'm looking at it, and it's like it does play like them. But I always try to get into like the psychology of why would they want to do what they did? Right? Why do they choose? the abilities to play this style. How is this style play inside of the game they built? Um, and that's maybe where I guess like looking at it in the last couple of months, this is the reason I wanted to talk about this is to get into some of this big topic is like looking at the boards gets you into kind of the deeper, like you said, the deeper meta of it is it's not so much about optimizing or it's not so much about like the strategy. They built it. We need to figure out why do they want to do that? So then we can, maybe better guide our own use of the board, if that makes sense. In some cases, often delight. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, in some cases, I like look at the board that I'm not used, like the faction that I'm not used to. Like I'm thinking of the Spanish or the Iberians um, or like some of the other factions that I'm just not familiar with the history. And I see how it seems to play in Saga. And then I look at that and I'm like, oh, is that how they actually fought in real life? And I'm intrigued to want to go learn more. And so mm. that's sort of as a hook to draw. It's so like the opposite way, right? Not not trying to apply what history did to yeah. the gameplay, but to see, try to see it about the other way, right? Like well, maybe they did do these interesting dynamic horse-based, you know, movement at off, you know, off times or something. Like maybe that's their theme. I'm very interested to learn about that. And there's just so much to know and learn that it, you know, you have to start somewhere, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's that's just kind of something I've taken from this. Yeah. Say, so jump back, Stephen. You had something you wanted to say? Oh, you know, I was just considering Josh's point well enough, and I don't remember what I was saying <laughs> okay. anyway. So I'm sure there will be plenty yep. sneaking in there anyway. So yeah, but I, I and I say it's coming back to that, Josh. Is I really liked. Um, I do like that, that sometimes it's like, I don't know anything about this culture. I don't know anything about these people. I don't know anything about the wars they were in. 
because maybe it's not a region I've ever been interested in. And I always kind of like that is that 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 fun part of history of learning. Hold on. How is that? Let me go research a little bit. Watch some. And nowadays, geez, there's so many history podcasts There's so many YouTube videos. It doesn't take much anymore to really learn a lot about uh, history. Exactly. Like to Stephen's point about the Thracians, right? Like, like I've never heard of them before, but now having, you know, seen that, that that's a board and even hearing Stephen talk about how interested he is in them, it even draws me to want to look and investigate that, that time period and those people more, right? It's just kind of an interesting artifact of playing a historical <laughs> game. I think that's one of the most wonderful parts about Saga is that exact phenomenon of it. In a way, every time someone sees any type of history media, it is a form of education if they didn't know about it before. It's slightly mm-hmm. revealing. And that's why some of the whinier historian lovers like myself or whatever, you know, can can be so sad to see big presentations of certain types of historical media because you, you see it represented what you know is incorrect, maybe equipment or some other thing like that. And it breaks your heart because you know that tons of people are going to see this for the very first time. They're going to fall in love with it. And then right from the get go, they're going to think about all kinds of different things that aren't correct. And it, it doesn't hurt anybody to be that way. But you think if you have such creative control and such impact, why not just it's it's equally beautiful and it fits in your budget. You know, why not just go ahead and make something look <laughs> this way? Because it's going to really positively impact how much attention comes back to history. And a lot of times, you know, in academia right now, there's there's a declining interest a lot of times in, in history uh, in a, a refocus on other aspects of humanities and stuff. And so uh, there's le- you want somebody to see that cool Thracian helmet and say, huh, what's, what are those guys all about? Instead of instead have it be presented as some Thracian with some ridiculous italian 16th century helmet on or something like maybe they'll still be interested but sure isn't what got me interested man i saw the real helmet and i blew up i wanted to know more Mm -hmm. you know and and i think that it is a service to humanity (laughs) Uh, when when games like this create such a positive impact Mm -hmm. like that it's true but then on the other side like i have a spartan warband and i got the vitric box and the helmets you know the crests are uh, what was traverse wise they're like facing on and not like the 300 spartan warriors with the current helmets with the right but i want the 300 look too so i i want both <laughs> in some cases because it's just cool but you know I, it, I, I, historical actor is important <laughs> but yeah. i want the cool look too Yep. There's a really interesting reason why they didn't wear Corinthian helmets. <laughs> Basically, like you can, you can figure out how complicated the maneuvers of an army were going to be based on how open the ear slots of their helmet were. So, <laughs> like a Corinthian hop, hoplite would uh, go forward. A knight with a big helmet on would go forward. It's like then you look at a Roman helmet and their ears are open and they need to be able to form testudo. They need to be able to shake out into screening lines. They need to be able to um, collaboratively throw javelins. And it's like the reason Spartans in the Peloponnesian war wore helmets that left their ears open is because they were performing more complicated maneuvers. So like just knowing the history of a helmet gives you like an insight into how, a, how an army functioned. God bless the history of a helmet. 
<laughs> I, that's what I, I see it across the board. You know, with mm -hmm. the Napoleonic guys, they talk about button counters and stuff like that. I'm a helmet guy for sure. I see that <laughs> and I think, oh, ooh, I know ooh, that helmet's from England. Oh, no, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But it's from 300 years before this on the other side of Europe. And you just say, ah, oh, whatever. And you just let it go. Yeah. But I will say that, that I've been trying to, lately some people know that I've been trying to put together just a little homebrew thing kind of, of Bronze Age saga boards. And I've been kind of building this up in the background. But the, the main motivation for it is that I, I love and I'm passionate about this time period. And I want others to be passionate about it too. And it's an easy way to do it when you're playing awesome games. I want an excuse to go buy a bunch of chariots. I want an excuse yeah. to buy boar tusk helmets and all kinds of things like that. And I, I certainly don't have one, but boy, if there was a saga faction for them, that's a great reason to go ahead and pick all these guys up. So <laughs> I, I think it'll be great as these factions, or as these universes flesh out each time uh, for everybody. You really learn a lot more each time. So mm -hmm. I guess it's some of that stuff. I really enjoy that. I enjoy that point too, is I think for me, uh, like Vikings, I think kind of always knew like surface level stuff. Um, but after getting into this game, it's just, I don't know at this point now I've like built the Anglo-Saxon board and I've listened to God and read books on them, stuff I would have never done. Right. I think at this point I've, I've read two, three, four books on the Anglo-Saxon history, listened to like two or three different podcasts that have like hundreds of episodes um, in an area I was never really, I never thought was interesting. And now it's probably one of one of my top two or three favorite periods of history. So that's really cool. Mm -hmm. I've done the same with um, mostly the Romans lately with podcast or uh, books like Ghosts of Canet or the mm -hmm. Augustus Caesar, Caesar, for example, or just different, different books, listening to audiobooks or format or yeah, it's, it's really been helpful building that those, those, those periods in history, sort of building those, um, I don't know, building box or signposts, create a template, so then you can hang the rest of it on there, right? Mm -hmm. Like, Thracians related to uh, Romans in this time frame, or the Greeks in this time frame, right? So, like, that really helps me mm -hmm. to get that, that template of how history has worked, the big signposts, and then fill in the gaps. Yeah, and so I guess kind of the last little area I have is we kind of, I don't know, like I said, there's a lot to to talk about historically, but I guess it's kind of trying to stay inside the world that is Saga with history. Um, and this may be something we've already kind of talked about for, for you guys thinking about for you. Um, kind of what's the, 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 do you feel like history is like your major second element at this point? Or when you kind of get into a list and you start thinking about some of that stuff, um, do you feel like it brings a lot more of that motivation for you? Right. When I think about the motivation, um, I say this is like, I know Steven, you're playing, playing the Romans as I play the Macedonians and I'm kind of just really trying to get through the list to kind of find what's working well, which I feel like I have. It's just to kind of run into some unfun luck lately. Um, do you feel like kind of that's the motivation to keep playing them or just kind of keep going through building a new war band, things like that for you? What kind of keeps your motivation up to, to go through some of this stuff? With the, with the the Romans you mentioned in particular, uh, again as I kind of talked about in the, the the ten losses, I expected kind of poor performance for these guys, and they are a good example then of 
models and history that I just always wanted to have. and I've wanted to play with it. And so I knew no matter what, I'm going to take these guys at a certain point and no matter what, I'm going to probably play them in the semi-classical formations and stuff like that and enjoy them for a little bit. At a certain point, though, they I will start making those changes that we talk about in the, the 10 losses a little bit there. I am going to have to start to make those corrections over time. But there is an, sometimes an occasion where a love for a board and history don't align for me in a certain way, too. And a great example is uh, both kind of the Celtic factions in general, uh, Irish, Scots, and, and Welsh there, too. All these kind of Britonic mixes and stuff up there. Mm -hmm. They're very cool boards. They're very good. But I've just never been passionate about their individual histories. And they don't have the material culture. They don't have the archaeology that attracts me mm -hmm. to their models and stuff. And the ones that I would be interested in uh, aren't really compatible much with the play style of the war bands. And that happens a lot with some of these factions like the Celtic factions because pieces of equipment and stuff aren't there to, to be show pieces and stuff like that. You're taking waves of levy. You're taking waves of poorly dressed in armed men and stuff like that. And that's that's not always very exciting, um, but I love the Irish board and inevitably I will take it at a certain point in my love for that board. It will supersede my love for Irish history a little bit. That's not to say I don't enjoy Irish history, but from a, and from a model standpoint, it's not something I'm really excited to dig into a little bit. But ultimately, the history is the battery that continues to drive and that's no more apparent to me than in my relationship with Age of Magic. Uh, I'll always love Saga of, of any variety that comes out. Mm -hmm. And so I've played a lot of Age of Magic, uh, you know, obligatory a little bit. But when it came down to go to, you know, the last Age of Magic tournament, I desperately <laughs> needed to integrate history into it mm -hmm. somehow and created my lost Civil War army and, and put it in there. So really my love of wanting to play a Civil War army and a lack of game to play it i inserted then instead of their the the magic element and things like that so you could see my motivation my battery with history pop up everywhere even when it's not really supposed to be there so much but luckily the old lost uh lost civil war guys there were pretty well received by people that played against them so that was a sorry just going back to that i know we were we we're kind of up at adepticon together and it was probably really just like age of magic is, is meant to be a lot of fun. And I love the idea of like integrating even history into that, right? What's, what's history and how can you kind of bring it in? Cause your, your idea was like, right. They had walked through like a portal out in the woods. I can't remember what the, what, what regiment was it, Steven? Exactly. I'm going to so ask was, you uh, about it. Uh, Cause it's just first Indiana volunteers in this case. And, and after one of their engagements in Kentucky, uh, after a huge battle that was there, that unit kind of goes missing for a little bit. It disappears from roll call, roll call. People don't know where it really went. And then magically it shows back up in roll call again. And no one just acknowledged anything about it pretty much. And so <laughs> I took that, my love of history in that time period, my engagement with that unit is that I have a, a relative that, that fought in that unit. And so that's the only reason I followed the troop logs for that specific unit. But I, it was an interesting opportunity for me to say, aha, this is where they got lost in the woods uh, and and found this great portal and ended up, you know, Bigfoot helps them because uh, there's a huge <laughs> amount of Bigfoot sightings in the Civil War. Lots mm -hmm. of guys spending time in the woods, 
lots of guys seeing Bigfoot. There's even a uh, like a small engagement where both Confederates and Union soldiers are both unloading on what they think is a Bigfoot running through there. And then, you know, they never get anything or whatever. But of course, I wanted to try to later incorporate Bigfoot into my uh, Union soldier, Ooh, you know, fantasy uh -huh. army or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, cavalry officers on Pegasus and stuff. But ultimately, it's history is the lens that I view almost everything, mm -hmm. almost involuntarily. So, <laughs> but I don't know. I'm sorry. Like, is that, and that's maybe something too. I think for me, after us going up to Adepticon, uh, we played, oh, now what, what was the song we played on the way in? So you could, and I do this, I will say this, I learned this now is I always, um, and this is maybe comes from my love of sports psychology. Um, is thinking about how to get into to the mode, how to get into the mindset when I go into a game. Um, and something I picked up off of you that I was like, man, that really got me energized for the day. It got me feeling good and ramped up. Um, it's we Fight listen. Fighters of the Angle Kid by yeah. about the about the, the Saxon Warriors proud yeah. standing side <laughs> by side and their yeah. hero breaking through the mist and. But no, I say I, I listen to that now. Every time I go to play my Anglo-Saxons on the drive to uh, Tabletop here, our local gaming store, that, that they're just playing, right? I have it like stereos all the way up. I'm like blowing my speakers out in my car, um, yeah. just getting pumped up to get in there. But I, I also think to the time where we were driving to Adepticon, um, what was the song we played for the, the Civil War guys? What was the... Oh, uh, well, we did like we did like Frog in the Well and... Uh, yeah. uh, oh, God. <laughs> The Union Forever and yep. stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I was singing Union Forever the whole time. And... <laughs> but I go to that. That's maybe what I think about the secondary element um, of how can how can some of that stuff. And it's that love where it's like finding these other things. And now I, I laugh because whenever I play, um, like even the Macedonians, I, I joke that like um, I like I found different different like Iron Maiden has a Alexander the Great song. Um things like that, like finding music to get me pumped up to go play and going to that, like getting in the mindset of like shifting from just kind of mundane, normal day life and getting into that. Like I'm about to go get kind of ramped up to get into the game and finding songs that go along with my war band has been surprisingly really fun. Um, and so that's maybe well, something I want to share, but it was, it was really fun. So I just want to say thank you for that. Cause that was a really fun experience of an Adepticon that I've continued to this day. Well, that's what I picked up from reenactorism and stuff, too. It's no surprise to many that a lot of us have had our tastes in historical reenactment on this board and stuff like that, too. I think everyone here, actually, who's speaking has mm -hmm. some sort of historical clothing for a different time period yep. and stuff in their closet <laughs> right now. Uh, so, you know, Josh is a little outside of is the opposite direction of, of ours in that case, but no less detailed, more detailed even in that yeah. case. So. But a great part of reenactorism that you bring to this, again, this is what I was saying at the beginning about interdisciplinary passions. I want everything that I do in my life to feed back into it. You know, my my band is was Viking themed black metal and stuff for a long time and focused on very hyper specific, you know, uh, passages of history and Norse literature and things like that. So I want to I want to think like them. I want to smell like them a little bit. And uh as you can see in my personal library, I'd like to eat like them, too. I, there are lots of interesting things to think about what they're eating. So uh, and, and a few sources in history have been so kind to record uh, some great recipes for us. So and mm -hmm. some disgusting recipes. But <laughs> that's sorry. That's something I've always I don't know. Ever since that moment, I've taken that and just like 
it's been it's been a lot of fun to just find different stuff and like who sings a song about these people right or who's a band that specializes in this um is there's like a band who made an old, old whole whole album about justinian um mm-hmm. i can't remember their name off the top of my head but um super cool stuff like that of like finding that that secondary piece to it and i say the sports psychology side of me is like getting into that mindset of like i'm about to get on the table and i'm about to kind of fight with somebody and getting into the mindset before i get there of like kind of dealing with traffic and all that crap driving to the gaming store it's like put the music on and get in the mindset um, but there was something really great about uh, i God, and forgive me out there if you're listening, but I, I think his name was Kevin, who used to come to Depticon all the time, who's a sommelier, and he would often bring then hand-picked alcohols based on the war band that he was playing and pass it around. So as he was playing Normans, he had specific recipes from Normandy and bottles and stuff to pass out and stuff too. It's a great way to engage in history all around. That's cool. That's really cool. I yeah, like that that's, idea. That's the- I think Saga like dra- drags that out of people too. It's like the game has to be engaging first and then we're allowed to kind of enjoy these other ancillary historical aspects. Like yeah. we're not just, like, we're not just simulating something like I don't even suspect that the big tabletop games that purport to simulate these things, simulate them well. Like you would need to be playing it two millimeter and on your front lawn and you need all sorts of mechanics that aren't fun just to, to sh- actually like represent what, what really happened. But mm-hmm. Saga is so much more like in the tradition of Herodotus and Homer and, and uh, Beowulf that like we could, we could have fun. And then also these other elements can come into. Which I guess is like the namesake. And that's maybe, maybe kind of, thinking about just the namesake of saga in general, right? Kind of creating every time I go on the table, I think about how am I creating this epic saga? Um, it's like our war bands are kind of fighting and I don't know, maybe that's probably half my reason. I always want to try to kill the other person's warlord with my warlord. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I say, I'll throw a whole game away. You put your warlord out there. I will unfortunately throw a whole game away just to kill your warlord. I can imagine that that makes Alex very happy. That's the way they want. That's why they put the pride rule in there. And I can say as a, I'm guilty of gaming, like every other competitive player in that case, and usually pretty conservative with my, my warlord. But uh, Alex shakes his head at this and wants you to charge. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why it's in there. That's what he wrote the game for is that, you know, and in saga in general, you, like you said, Beowulf in this case, or, Eagle Scholar Grimson fighting 12 guys at once and all these types of things. So <laughs> I'm glad I can, I don't know. Like I said, there's just, there's something like gutturally like, like pulls into me where it's just like my warlord versus your warlord. Let's just duke it out in the middle of the table. Um, just, I don't know. That's just the fun of it. But I guess it goes back to some of the, the other stuff too, is thinking about um, how saga as a game I guess it's a really fair point. It's like historically, it's maybe not perfectly accurate, and it's not meant to be. Yeah, that's it's not a bug; it's a feature. Like that's that's what <laughs> makes it so exciting is that you you don't have the preponderance of a game system that's trying to do that and is inevitably going to fail because it's not even possible. So Saga just like punts on the entire thing and says. No, we're not going to try to show you a whole battle. Like at most, this would be a meeting engagement or a 
skirmish between scouting parties or like a dinner party that went wrong. Like the, the scale of saga is mm-hmm. probably more indicative of most of the armed conflict in human history than any of the large battle games would be. Like there's just so many of these little fights that no one was around to record. No one bothered to record. Mm-hmm. And we can kind of like fill in the details for ourselves. Yep. Well, that, or I also go back to that too, is like sometimes history being, um, it's always written by the victor, right? So I think of, uh, oh, what was Alexius's, Alexius Comninos's daughter, Anna, she wrote the uh, Comninan stuff. And like, there's, you can kind of see that flavor where it's like, she's kind of reporting that her father did better in battles where it's like, no, he just, he kind of, he, he, he retreated and that, that was it. He, he knew the game was up and he retreated, but she writes this like poetic, um, beautiful saga of him charging down men as he's leaving the field. And, <laughs> you know, just well, like as Americans, we do that with George Washington. It's like put, point <laughs> me at the, the great, the great victories of George Washington that, that allowed him to become this mythological figure. Yep. <laughs> maybe that's probably why I always want to charge a warlord on a warlord. I don't know. Maybe that's where that comes from. It's just, I know history is, not it's always written by the victor, but sometimes you get some good stuff from the loser or intermediaries and stuff. Sometimes it's just written by a nice passerby, and God <laughs> bless an entire era of Arab literacy that helps us out with that a little bit as they yeah. attach themselves to a lot of the moving pieces of the early medieval world. You know, uh, they they God bless and in Greeks in that case, if it's not Arabs, it's Greeks somewhere they're writing it down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a, a real blessing. So, or or with fun with eight Bronze Age stuff. You know, famously the Battle of Kadesh is Ramses the second big moment. Everyone recognized the reliefs and uh, uh, art associated with this battle. And classically, the way the Egyptians presented is that it was a massacre on behalf of Ramses the second, and he alone was isolated and broke through tons and tons of fighters on his chariot by himself and crushed the Hittite chariots. And well, turns out about 15 years ago, we, uh, we found the Hittite records for it and they don't quite record it that way. <laughs> in fact, it seems mm-hmm. like a draw at the best for the yep. Egyptians in that fight. Uh, and the Hittites are very good record keepers and they don't normally write giant things about how great their only guy is over mm-hmm. and over again. But as I look at thinking about how you approach Bronze Age boards, that theme of mm-hmm. Ramses isolated by himself fighting tons of other people is something I definitely draw an influence for as I try to think of how what a, a thematic Egyptian board might represent in that time period for New Kingdoms or something. Right. It's because that's the story they told themselves. So, exactly. Like, so that's what ends up mattering. I, I like building that back into even saga is understanding that, right? That, that idea that sometimes the theme that's in the war band, where it's like, I look at the the last Roman board as like my first time playing it as I really enjoyed the Byzantines. I jump in and I go, well, what did the history books say about this, right? How did they fight? I'm going to fight like that. And it's like, hold on. Do we really need to look at the deeper piece and something like that, right? Is that the other records don't quite show that that's how it really happened. Um, so taking it with a grain of salt and looking at what the creators really wanted out of the board right this yeah i'm sure basil the second would wish a little bit more out of the last roman board i think he would say i think we can we're a little more aggressive than this yeah well i would say i 
I hope, and this is maybe just my my personal pet peeve of somebody who loves the Byzantine and the Roman boards. Um, for the love of God, I love Harold Hardrada. Um, he can stay in the Viking board. He has a yeah, beautiful. He plays great in the Viking slide. board. Um, for the love of God, give me. There's so many great, great Roman generals uh, throughout the years, and you give me the ability called Strategos, and then all of a sudden. You don't give me any strategos through history who was yeah. <laughs> like you give me Harold Hardrada, who is like the captain of the Varangian guard. Like I, he's cool. Don't get me wrong. But I, if I want to play him, I'm going to go play the Vikings. Yeah. Um, because he's, he's, he's also more of a badass in the Vikings. So um, I don't know. So that's just for the love of, Oh God, if studio Tomahawk, they could do one thing for me. It would be just give me a legendary that is, like I said, it's either Basil or you think about, I, I don't know. There, there's just a million that, that are just great. Get on your knees and turn to the east and face Strasbourg <laughs> and Studio Tomahawk. And you just, you project, buddy. You, maybe they're listening. So. Yeah, well, honestly, I'll kind of, I don't know. Maybe I'll just have to write it myself at some point and just homebrew and I'll make everybody here okay with it. So. Yeah, they actually point. used to give us the mechanics for that a little bit in their uh, their old campaign in the first edition. They kind of gave you their kind of breakthrough on how you, their formula works for creating a special character or something. But it was kind of fun. It's kind of broken too, but it was fun for goofing around. That's I think that's where I'm going to have to be at it. Um, but yeah, <laughs> so uh, that's my only that's my only uh, my only caveat to that is give me for love of God, give me a Byzantine Basil Basil the Bulgar Slayer. I don't know. But the pale, the white death of the Saracens. There's too many great ones, but we'll move on from that. But I just come into the, I guess, kind of last piece of it as we, I think we've already been kind of kicking this around. Like I said, I, I could talk about history forever on this. Um, but just kind of the last thought um, going through this and thinking about for you guys when it comes to his, historical influence. Um, do you guys have any kind of last thoughts, any last ideas when it comes to historical influence inside the world of saga i guess as a uh just to obviously echo a lot of the stuff that we said earlier but uh and what a lot of us have said tonight too that if you are struggling to look at different boards and you're trying to find your inspiration Sometimes take a look at really specific points in history a little bit and, and try to get excited about those or, or find uh, just find that that little string that you need to pull somewhere in this line, because that's the common thing that happens with history is you find just one little thread and you pull it just because you were interested about the color of a tunic or something like that. And suddenly you've spiraled into a, a wealth of knowledge, usually more than you can digest at once. But passion rides alongside of that and it can be a really fun way to get your models painted that's for sure mm -hmm. uh or sometimes to be intimidated about painting your models as you find out intricacies of their gear or some other thing like that uh, that's my thracians right now for sure uh but uh the game is there for history and if you're even listening to this or if you're playing this game you probably like history anyway or someone mm -hmm. really convinced you uh on a you know beer and games night or something like that to try it out and you love the mechanics but ultimately all of us love history in one way or the other and 
spend some time looking at what a really cool palette that they've given you to enrich your own interests through a game. And uh, I think you'll find a lot of really cool things if you yeah. take the time to read about them. And if anyone else is always ever looking for sources, Josh, if you're ever looking for sources or something like that, I'd love to bombard some links or something like that too. <laughs> what a passion. It's a great time. So that'd be great. Uh, but, with, but with that, Mm -hmm. I guess I'd also say like don't be ashamed of what brings you to a faction like if you think it's kind of lowbrow and not realistic it's like that's fine like that's that's in the style of the game and it's also pretty emblematic of probably the way a lot of these people thought about themselves anyway so like Josh said it's like I want 300 Spartans like cool like like even the context of that movie is someone telling a story Mm -hmm. so it's like you're not getting and that, that even like that divergence of it isn't purporting to be accurate. So like Saga is the perfect place to, to go nuts and, and just find stuff that you enjoy. And if it's something that kind of silly that brought you there, that's cool too. Yeah. Yeah. For me, history is history, right? It's just people trying to make it when their current time that happens to be way long time from my perspective way long time ago so my draw is always just to really figure out how people lived right like what how do they actually survive sometimes and to me that's what's amazing is there's so much stuff that uh, modern culture comparatively has lost like i don't know how to go and be a hunter gatherer or Mm -hmm. you know i could maybe go get some animal somewhere if i really needed to survive maybe but I'd probably be hungry and maybe die and my family would die. <laughs> right. And so my goal is I want to not lose those skills. I want to not lose some of those things that my ancestors were able to do. Right. By virtue of being present, I am not mm-hmm. a robot. I am, I have a heritage and a history. I want to know how they lived. Mm-hmm. And to me, I'm, you know, playing a war game. Like Stephen said, I think, you know, there's more to history than just the war. Or like Luke said, like sometimes they only had one battle, <laughs> you know, but mm-hmm. but they survived. And I want to know how they lived the rest of their life, right? And that, to me, that's the draw. And so and that, that time frames, just different, the skills that people built upon each, you know, each successive generation sort of built up small incremental changes. Even in, even in apparent times of stagnation, there was maybe other changes that we're minimally aware about. I once read a book, um, The Science of Conjecture, which really talked about how during the sort of the the Middle Ages where you sort of expect this to be like stagnant society, uh, well, there actually the rule of proof and burden and what was probable and not probable, like there was a basically a tremendous amount of advancement that set the stage for the enlightenment and mm-hmm. so like it's it's kind of interesting how from different perspectives things are very dynamic uh when when you don't maybe think that that's there but you start reading and learning and you, you cover it so for me it's just a, a foil like i love playing more games right this is a great way to just it's an excuse to learn more about the, the past people and what they did and how they interacted. So that's just, that's really my draw. And I would hope that maybe others would pick up on that and try to try to gain some of the interest or passion um, that I guess we all share. So, yeah. And I think that's it. I think that's the, 
a big draw for a lot of people. And I don't, I don't know if I have a lot more to say to that. Cause that's a really great closing points by everybody. And I just wanted to say, thank you guys for being here. Uh, thanks for taking us through your love of history. Each, every one of you guys, um, and providing your insight. Thank you. No problem. Yeah.